The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit reading the confessions of the Fox Pro murderer and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 309 with guest Les Pinter, recorded live Tuesday, January 15th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by the AMPS Profiler from Redgate Software. A .NET profiler of choice of over 11,000 developers worldwide. Online at www.red-gate.com. And now, the man who still wonders why Richard screwed that lamp into his head, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, your hostess with the mostest. And Richard Campbell in Vancouver. British Columbia. Yes, sir. Mr. Campbell. Uh, how are you, sir? Yeah, I just got one question. Hit me. How, how was it that you were supposedly on vacation at that time? <laughs> I just got one more question. <laughs> you couldn't have been on vacation. See, because your fingerprints are all over that gun. Wow. Uh, that's you, my Columbo. You do a serious Columbo there, man. Well, you know. You had me going. <laughs> And, of course, your reference is to the fact that I am in Lithuania at the moment. Yes, you are. And yet still on the show. How does that happen? It's an amazing technology. And I am only beginning to recuperate from my hellacious cold. Yeah, you've had a tough week. Hellacious. Let's get right to Better Know Framework. All right, Mending Sir, how are you? Yes. What do we got? Making you smart one class at a time. <laughs> Well, uh, this is a keyword, actually, for our C-sharp friends. Oh. It's the yield keyword. The yield keyword is a very, very wonderful, powerful thing. Let's say you're doing a, a custom enumerator, a custom iterator. Right. Inside of a collection class. And uh, you need to do this because your collection returns something that has to be calculated on the fly. Right. Right? So what you really need is to... But you don't want to, here's the thing, it's dynamic. So you don't want to pre, 
you know, load all of these things beforehand. You want them to dynamically uh, come out. So you need some code in between each of the items in your list so that you can come up with the items. But you uh, need to yield to the calling code that is go- doing a for each and iterating across your list. And that's what the yield keyword does. It temporarily suspends where it is, returns the item, and then uh, to the calling code that is iterating through your collection. So it's kind of weird, but it's it's really the only way you can do what you need to do when you have a custom iterator block. So the yield keyword. Excellent. And, And if you didn't understand it, just uh, listen to or watch DNR TV, where uh, Venkat Subramaniam talks about it. And uh, yeah, I probably should have been prepared with the episode number, but I will find that and add a link to it. All right. And of course, not actually a class. Nope. It's a keyword, and it's a C-sharp only keyword, and that makes me sad. <laughs> there should be the equivalent in VB.net. This isn't right. Well, that's okay. You know, they, they have their days. We have ours. <laughs> they have something. <laughs> yeah, we have XML literals. There you go. Nothing to sneeze at. Nothing to complain about. So that show we just did, 308. Yeah. The show with Aaron Sconard stirred up a lot of emails, some funny ones, actually. Let me read this one from John Dyer. Okay. My ears also perked up with the mention of the word cruft during the show. <laughs> there was a Dr. Dobbs column, The New Adventures of Verity Staub, where this was mentioned, and he gave me a real laugh. She details a PC going from cruft force zero through ten as it moved from a nice clean machine into a completely unusable piece of junk. <laughs> and John was good enough to shrinksterize it for us. Shrinkster.com slash TZ8. So that's Tango Zulu 8. Let me read a couple of these uh, cruft force ratings. Awesome. Cruft force zero, also known as virgin. Description, the connect to the internet shortcut is still on the desktop, and the how to use Windows dialog still appears at logon. Menu animations <laughs> and the various event-based sound effects, even the dreaded Microsoft sound, seem cheerful and amusing. <laughs> Likewise, a clandestine installation of the blue screen of death screensaver, complete with simulated reboot, naturally, from the Sys Internals <laughs> website is hilarious. Yeah. Compilers run crisply and report only sensible, easily resolved errors. There are just nine directories off of C. <laughs> Now, I'll pick one in the middle here. How about a Cruft Force 5, a.k.a. <laughs> Worn Out? Description, sometime after boot up, always get a dialogue, a service has failed to start, BLT 300. What is BLT 300? <laughs> BLT 300. No, nobody knows. Bacon, lettuce, and tomatoes. There so. you go. Although one can manually remove, disable the service, it always reappears two or three reboots later. Yeah. If one double-clicks a document icon, Word takes four minutes and 30 seconds to start up. But it still works fine if started as a program. Somebody opines that this is due to a misconfigured DDE or a Mars Jupiter cusp. Yeah, that's my wife's machine. There you go. She's at Cruft Force 5. Now Cruft let me get you to Cruft five. Force 10. Let's go all the way. <laughs> which also known as expiry. Yeah. 
Machine only runs in safe mode at 16 color, 800 by 600, and even then for about a minute and a half before B-sodding. Oh! Attempts to start an app are rewarded with a dialogue, no font list found. Ordinary dodges, such as reformatting the hard disk and starting again, are ineffective. (laughs) Corrupt has soaked into the very fabric of the machine, and it should be disposed of safely at a government-approved facility. There, it will be encased in cruft-resistant glass and buried in a residential district. Brilliant, brilliant piece. Thanks so much for finding that. And this is why we don't cruft code. It's not good. (laughs) So there. Oh, my goodness. All right, Richard, I'm very happy to introduce to you uh, Les Pinter and the audience, of course. Uh, While working toward a Ph.D. in economics at Rice University in Houston, Texas, Les Pinter teamed up with two high school friends to market the fourth word processing program ever written for microcomputers, the Magic Wand. A year later, Les had sold the Magic Wand to a 23-year-old Bill Gates and was hooked on microcomputers. And that uh, went on to become Microsoft Word. After writing and marketing the Real Estate Guide, the first nationally marketed templates for Lotus 123, Les discovered DBase 2 and became a database specialist. He bought copy number 253 of FoxBase and started publishing a monthly newsletter about FoxBase in 1989. The, the Pinter Fox Pro letter was published for 10 years in the U.S. and four years in Russia. Currently, Les continues to publish articles on Fox Pro and ASP at his website, www.lespinter.com. Les has been a speaker at dozens of Fox Pro conferences in the U.S., France, Spain, Russia, and Canada. He gives seminars in five languages uh, and has offices in San Mateo, California, and his consulting clients include Halliburton, Brown & Root, TRW, Stanford University, Anthology Software, YouGetHerd.com, and many others. Les is a private pilot and once played lead guitar in the road band for Jerry Lee Lewis. Folks, this is going to be an interesting hour. Please welcome Les Pinter. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, you know what? We're a bunch of old school computer guys here, but I think you, sir, you are a little more old school than we are. I have, I have, uh, I have got grayer hair than any of you, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> oh, but the I can stories! Bench press more than either one of you, I believe. <laughs> nice. I believe you could. I believe you could. Yes. Well, and it, and the guitar line comes at the end there because I think that's an important part. You know, Carl's a serious guitar player. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I know. Yes. Well, you know, you got to have fun. Although I do, I do love what I do for a living, but uh, but there are just life is so short, and there are so many fabulous. Uh, ways to spend your time I, I i certainly agree i always tell my kids there's no excuse for boredom no excuse yeah i don't so, remember having been bored in the last 50 years yeah right so you, you're obviously one of these guys who exercises both halves of your brain and uh does quite a good job of it um i'm interested first let's talk about the the the, the elephant in the room the microsoft word story that's got to be a good one well it uh i, I was i was uh I finished my coursework for a PhD, and I was teaching, as is uh, you know the way that, that we support ourselves. You, you you become an assistant professor and work on your dissertation, and uh, they were paying me three hundred and thirty-three dollars a month, so it really wasn't enough. I had a child who had had childhood cancer, and and we needed uh, to cover a lot of expenses. Wow. So a buddy of mine talked me into learning COBOL, and hmm. uh, he said, you know, all the cons- all the the oil companies here are dying for programmers. I said, but I don't, I don't know Caldwell. He said, ah, it's easy. I'll teach you in a week. And he did. <laughs> what year was this? 
1975 or six. Wow. So uh, he taught me COBOL for about a week. He, uh, every day he'd take an hour and say, here's how you do this and that. And after a week, I went out and interviewed at a company down on the ship channel in Houston and they asked me a few questions to determine whether or not I knew programming, and I said all the right buzzwords. And at the end, the guy <laughs> said, okay, how much do you charge? And I was going to say $10 an hour, but this little voice in the back of my head, which has not spoken to me since, by the way, <laughs> said, uh, double it. So I said, 20 an hour. And he said, fine, can you start Monday? And I said, sure. And I got up, shook his hand, walked out, and I said, oh, Lord, please don't let me faint until I get to the men's room. <laughs> I had just quintupled my salary. Yeah. was something I learned in one week after 11 years of studying for a Ph.D. in economics. Wow. And that was the end of me in being an economics professor. I, I didn't even go back the next year. Wow. Um, my consulting business continued and grew. I was doing a huge amount of work for Exxon, billing 60 bucks an hour back when that was a lot of money. Yeah. And one day, a couple of friends of mine from uh, high school called me up and said, you know, Mike has, Mike Griffin has written this word processing program, and we need somebody who knows business. And you're a business college professor and also a programmer. You'd be the perfect guy to run our company. So we put up, put together a little company, and I was the president, and Mike was the VP of programming, and Bill Riding was the VP of marketing, and that was it. And we started selling our little word processor called the Magic Wand in January of 1980. By September, we were doing pretty well. And I got a call one day from, uh, I, I was by then the head of the 12th largest microcomputer software company in the United States. I had mm. 13 employees. Mm. And uh, Bill Gates was the head of the biggest one. He had 50 employees. Mm. And uh, he called up and he said, uh, this is Bill Gates, and I need to know if I can buy source code from you. I'll give you a two-year non-compete agreement. How much will you charge me? And I covered up the phone and said, it's Bill Gates. He wants to buy source code. He'll give us a two-year non-compete agreement. How much? And Mike said, uh, tell him thirty-five grand." And I said, $35,000. <laughs> like, why oh. did I say that? And he said, you're not going to change your mind, are you? And I said, no. He said, I'll be there tomorrow. So the next day, I drove to Intercontinental Airport in Houston, and I drove him to my house, made him a grilled cheese sandwich. He handed me a $35,000 personal check, and I handed him the source code to the program that became Microsoft Word. By the way, uh, do you remember a Hungarian uh, tourist who went up in the space, in the uh, Russian, uh, went up to the... Uh, Space Station about six months ago. Uh, yeah, Charles Simonyi. Yes. Yeah. Charles Simonyi was hired. He was actually the first employee hired by uh, by Gates and uh, Steve Ballmer um, to help with the develop with to help build Microsoft. But his job was to rewrite the magic wand so that it would work with their new DOS, which they were also developing at the same time. Wow. So, but he, I mean, not only did he come up with Hungarian notation, he was also the guy who believed in the concept of the common platform. Because so, back then, I mean, PC wasn't going to be the guaranteed winner. There was also Apple II and the Atari line and, and Amiga line. I mean, there's all uh, CBM series. There was all these different machines, and yeah. Microsoft wanted to be on all of them. So well, Multiplan and all you're these different products tried to work across <laughs> all of them. <laughs> you know, do you know who Gary Kildall was? Oh, yeah, Digital Research, the guy who didn't sell DOS to my IBM. He's the reason that I became a pilot. Really? Hmm. He's also the reason I didn't drink for 20 years. Oh. Hmm. Gary was asked to sell DOS to help IBM develop a DOS. Right. Mm -hmm. and, 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 of course, at that time, he was CPM, like the operating system. It was That was it. In fact, they went to Gates, and he said, no, I don't have time. Go see Gary. So they flew down to Monterey to see Gary Kildall, and he and I talked all the time. In fact, you know, he said, you know, you ought to learn to fly. It's very relaxing. And so I started taking flying lessons. Well, 
he decided to show IBM that they couldn't push him around. So he went out flying all morning, and they sat there in the office for three hours and finally said, screw this, and went back up to Seattle and begged Gates to go in business with him. Gary sure. got so disappointed, so upset about it, about having missed the brass ring, that uh, many he started drinking too much, and many years later he fell off a bar stool and hit his head, had a cerebral hemorrhage, and died. Ew. I wouldn't touch alcohol for years and years because I was so disappointed in having missed my big chance to make the big score with the magic wow. with the, with word that I was afraid that I might uh, not do well with alcohol, and I just refused to touch it for years. But I mean, I mean ultimately, I, Gary sold digital research to uh, to Novell. He made lots of money. Yeah, but if you, uh, it's a very bitter story. If you, uh, I was just looking on the internet today about one of the guys who was on the inside of that story and, uh, he was very disappointed in Novell for hmm. missing their brass ring too. There have been a lot of brass rings missed. I was hmm. not the only one. And I, and I want to say before we go further in this interview, I'm doing great. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> fine. Okay. <laughs> no, no chance okay. of you it's, diving it's like, off a bar stool no, anytime soon is that what you're no, saying no no i'll tell you what i'm thinking of buying a rolls royce and i'm going to have a license plate holder that says my other car is a rolls too <laughs> 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 no since i got i wrote a book on on rewriting fox pro programs in net and after years of having a pretty good career as a fox pro developer you know i think i was one of the top 30 or 40 wage money earners in the fox pro world rewriting entire applications for major american corporations that had previously committed to FoxPro and rewriting them in .NET is a huge, huge business. I, I, have, a t I have a stable of, Argenti uh, of Argentine programmers, another group in Brazil, some guys in Russia that helped me out. Um, I had a team in Mexico. Uh, you know, and since I speak four languages besides English, uh, um, it's turned into a fabulous business that's sort of a dream come true for me and, and quite profitable, frankly, although I hasten to tell my customers who may be listening, it ain't that profitable. <laughs> right. It seems right. to me you should be writing a book about the stories about, you know, the, about the time. I mean, the uh, things that you've done, know. playing lead guitar with Jerry Lee Lewis, I mean... Well, it, that lasted about a week and a half until he got me drunk, and my, and my mother <laughs> said, you're not hanging out with that white trash. So that was that. <laughs> How old were you when that happened? I, they didn't know that I was... I was just barely... I think I'd turned 16 by then, but just wow. barely. But you were obviously a phenomenal guitar player if you ended up there. I blew that room away. When I went to the audition, I, I could play. I had memorized the the album that bb king's brother freddie king had done and uh bb king's a you know he's a four chord wonder but freddie king was a virtuoso rock and roll guitar player wow and uh, i was the only white kid around that could play his music so uh yeah i, I aced the 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 uh the audition and and then they told us what it was for but yeah i didn't last long it's uh it's a pretty hard drinking crowd they were it was a rough crowd and yeah I, I, it still is <laughs> <laughs> yes i suppose well my my mother raised me to be a a, a little a little uh, pinko intellectual. So, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be an you know an economist. Yeah, yeah. How did that? You know, speaking of economics, was your forte micro or macro economics? Oh, uh, you know, I, uh, I I get my dissertation was uh, was uh, on a uh, well was was planned to be a uh, a linear programming model of the Texas energy sector. So okay. I guess you would say micro. I guess so. But. Uh, and I have two masters, and one of them is in mathematical economics, yeah. and the other is an MBA in operations research. So I was more of a mathematical guy. I was a math jock. Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. 
That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zune. Uh, one of my macroeconomics is one of my favorite classes in college that I took just because, you know, at that time, Alan Greenspan was doing wonderful things with the Fed. And um, yeah, so, but uh, I don't know. Micro got, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who liked micro better than macro because it's more like reality, you know, business. Yeah, actually, the, the chairman of the Fed before uh, Greenspan was a guy named Burns, and his son was one of our professors at Rice. <laughs> You have to write a book about this stuff. Nah, nobody cares. <laughs> well, people haven't had this life that you've had, you know. I mean, there's I, a I lot find more. This... Believe me, there's enough that I can't. I could write a book out of what I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, I used to be a lot better looking. <laughs> well, and it was the '60s. <laughs> <laughs> True, and you remember it, which is odd enough. Well, I, no, I, I didn't have an affinity for for uh, um, controlled substances. Never did have any tolerance. So well, I, I tried smoking marijuana a few times, and the last time I tried it, which was about the tenth joint I ever smoked in my life, my uh, I guess this means I can never run for president, right? I think oh, so. I didn't inhale. There, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I had a buddy who is now the number one uh, television producer in Mexico, a guy named Luis de Llano. Okay. Um, he handed me a marijuana cigarette at his house and it had hashish in it and i spent the next 12 hours hanging by my fingernails from the ceiling as near as i can tell and it scared me so much i never touched anything thereafter well wow. you know it obviously worked in your favor i suppose well yeah. I, I also was once guest of honor at the harvard club of new york uh, i was elected to the board of directors of a thing called the international economic students association um and I was leaving the next day to go for military training to be sent to Vietnam, and so I drank too much and ended up passed out in the ladies' room of the Harvard Club of New York. <laughs> and to this day, I can't even stand the smell of tequila. Well, I don't drink really anything. Glass yeah. of red wine once a week, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, no, me and drugs and alcohol have just never crossed paths. Too much stuff going on, you know? All right, so George Lucas. What's the story with George? Oh, gosh. Um, I was in Texas in 1986. And my my consulting business was doing pretty well. And then the price of oil went from $49 a barrel to $9 a barrel, and it wiped out all of the energy companies in Texas, and Texas was a monoculture. And so all of my clients were oil companies, and they all went broke. Not quite broke, but they fired 20% of their employees and all of their consultants, and that was me. Wow. So I went from uh, you know a $100,000 year to a $12,000 a year. Hmm. I had Ouch. three properties, lost them all climbed into my car and drove west with nothing but my car and 800 bucks. And when I got to California, I found out that you can't get an apartment in California, or you couldn't then, 1986, without a first and last month and a deposit. Hmm. So uh, I slept in my car. And here I was, a PhD candidate, um, you know, the, 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 the father of, one of the fathers of uh, Microsoft Word, and I was sleeping in my car, feeling like a terrible failure. I went out and listed my name with an employment agency 
And the very next day, they called up and said, George Lucas is looking for a programmer. Good so Lord. I slept in my car in California for exactly two days and then went over to Lucasfilm, picked up a $10,000 a month consulting contract and moved into a houseboat in Sausalito. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So it was a tough couple of days. It was a tough couple of days. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, a, terrible two day, a terrible weekend, but uh, it was funny because George Lucas at that time had just finished building his house, but the ILM building and the carriage house weren't done yet. Well, the carriage house was halfway done, but that was where the games division worked, so those of us that were just regular employees worked in his house. So Big, what kind of house. things were you programming? I, I did the royalty revenue system, you know, uh, uh, royalties for Princess Leia dolls and Darth Vader kites. Oh, wow. They had 1,200 contracts for royalty agreements written on index cards in a shoebox. Oh, man. Wow. You talk about a <laughs> You talk about an opportunity for a database programmer to <laughs> show what he's worth. Really? I wrote a simple little flat file database, did the very first search for expired contracts, and handed them a report showing them that they were owed $12 million, for which they had paid, they had paid me $12,000 for the software. Nice. So they were pretty impressed, but the software was slow. Yeah. And it was written in DBase 3, and they were not impressed, so they said, well, thanks, but we're, we're going to go back to C and write it on the VAX. And mm -hmm. I heard about this thing called Foxbase that, was, that could run DBase 3 programs seven times faster, so I went and bought a copy and came back out to the ranch. This was at the Skywalker Ranch. Mm -hmm. By the way, we all, we all ate lunch in George's uh, dining room, so you know, I, you'd sit down at whatever table had room, and then one day I walked in, and the only table left was to sit down with, at the one remaining seat with George Lucas, um, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Ron Howard, Philip Glass. Uh, what was that, that girl that sang with the stone pony? His girlfriend, uh, Linda Ronstadt. Oh, Linda Ronstadt, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, there are some things I could say, but I won't. <laughs> she was she was not a smart girl. <laughs> okay. Oh, and, uh, but beautiful voice. Yeah. At any rate, um, uh, there was some story behind all of that. Oh yeah, so so uh, we so we all worked in his house, and uh, and uh, so I, I got a hold of this fox base this fox base program, brought it back, and ran it, and they said, "Oh yeah, that's much better," and they gave me another fifty thousand dollars worth of work. Wow. So, needless to say, I, I didn't want to go back to sleeping in my car, and I felt like Foxbase had just saved my life. So I became emotionally very attached to it and mm. worked with it almost exclusively for the next 10 or 12 years. I never never got interested in VB6. Well, it was I guess it was three at the earliest stages. Yeah. Um, never got interested in it. But, uh, you know, Fox, Fox Pro was a great ride. Well, and, you know, Fox, the Fox community is very, very dedicated to, to Fox Pro. Yes, well, they have been. Well, it's it's a it's a great product. I still look for things in. Uh, well, if your readers will go to my lesspinter.com and look at my uh, uh, my uh, well, actually the editorial is not there. I have written for the um, utmag.com, utmag.com. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I've written about forty or fifty editorials for them, and I've got I've got one there uh, called Confessions of a Programmer or something like that. And the confession is, you know, I'm a .NET MVP, and uh, all, I, I do all this stuff in .NET, but when I have to write utilities to do almost anything, I write them in FoxPro, because nothing does data like FoxPro. It's fast, it's easy. Uh, so, I, you know, as far as utility programs, when I'm doing conversion from FoxPro to .NET, I write all the utilities in FoxPro. Hmm. And, and, of course, that's ultimately why Microsoft bought Fox in the first place, was that data engine. Yeah. It's... It is part of the story. I'm a little more cynical than that. 
Well, tell us. <laughs> okay, I'd Please love share. to hear your version of it. Because, of course, you were there in, largely. I mean, working with the product right from now. I was always a Clipper guy. So it sort of happened on the side of me. I wonder uh, if it's time for me to reveal a deep, dark secret. Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. I'll, I'll get close to it. I'll get okay. close to it. I'll leave a hint. This is like the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> I once reported that I had heard that Bill Gates personally had said in a meeting in his office, every time we sell a copy of Fox Pro, we lose $10,000 in SQL Server license revenues. Those exact words. Right. Huh. And so I, I mentioned it at a conference. The next day, I got an email from uh, Ken Levy, who was the head of the Fox Pro division of Microsoft. He said, I want to know who said it, where they said it, and exactly what they said. Huh. So I called him back, and I said, Ken... What he said was exactly those words. I quoted it verbatim. When he said it was about a week ago, and I'm not going to tell you who it is because he still works for Microsoft, but I'll tell you after he leaves Microsoft. Well, he <laughs> hasn't left Microsoft. He was promoted recently, but let us just say that I have placed his name in a highly visible location oh. for anybody who can figure that out, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but wow. it, it's a direct quote from Bill Gates. So wow. I know why, Fox, why Microsoft bought Fox Pro and killed it, and it was because Fox Pro users don't need to pay for SQL Server. But now, it, there, it took so long. Well, the Justice Department was pretty much ready to eat them alive if they practiced any monopolistic practices. Monopoly is against the law of the United States of America. And so when Microsoft does practice monopoly practices, they have to be damned circumspect about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I mean, back you know, then, so, if you go back that far to the whole Rushmore deal, I mean, they were hardly on the radar of... of uh, of the uh, the U.S. government back then, like they had plenty of opportunity to let this thing go, yeah, and, and well, they waited for so long. Yes, and I. But now, to be entirely fair, there are several things about Fox Pro data access that are not compatible with large scale systems. You know, right. the index. The end, I mean, not to bore your readers, but the, uh, the your listeners, but the index. The indexes are a a real problem. Just the data volume. There are timeout problems. The mm. indexes can get detached and not reattached. They can get corrupted. So they work with smaller sets really well. They work well. with smaller, you know, a 10-user network that's not very data-intensive, no problem at all. You get yeah. up to 100 users, and, you know, you're really going to need some unique client server. Right. SQL Server is not a bad product. No. And compare it to Oracle, geez, <laughs> how, yeah. how does Oracle sell a product that's 100 times worse for 100 times as much? 100 times bigger. I don't bigger. understand. <laughs> well, it's amazing, and, and won't tell you how much it costs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, I, I once bought the little... Uh, you know, the little uh, developer's edition of Oracle, and I kept trying to call and get some tech support. All I wanted to know was, what's the user ID and password? Because I couldn't find it in the documentation. Ah. Right. And, and so I finally, got, I finally just dialed an Oracle number, because I lived right down the street from them. I, found, and lived, I did live down the street from the Oracle headquarters, and I knew what their exchange was, so I just dialed a number. And I said, you know, I'm trying to get some tech support. And the guy said, you, he said, if you paid less than $100,000 for your license, we don't even return your phone calls. And he hung oh up. Oh, my God. You're kidding nice. me. So that's what, that's what an employee of Oracle told me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine. It's like, a, it's like an IQ test for the IT <laughs> And you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. It, it, yeah, Fox was never built to do that. But, of course, uh, they, the deal, the thing that Microsoft always said was that they brought the Fox technology in to get Rushmore into access. Yeah, well, I and don't. the whole jet architecture, the entire data engine. But yeah, did I think, they? I, I mean, think, I think Rushmore got all the way up to SQL Server, and I think Access got bypassed. It still has only page locking, right? Not no record locking has page locking. I, yeah, I don't but know SQL the Server didn't get record locking until the rewrite after SQL Seven. That's a yeah. long time after Fox's acquisition. 
I know. It's, the whole thing surprises me. I am truly amazed with all of the truly smart people that Microsoft hires, why it still takes so long to get the obvious uh, in place. Well, you know, it's ob- may, perhaps it's that it's not on their radar, right? They're, there's a business reason why they're not doing it. I, it's, I, I must believe it's business reasons because Microsoft be. is very smart. But, you know, the purpose of a corporation is to maximize share price. It has right. nothing to do with producing the best products for the, for the fuzzy-headed guys like me. It has to do with maximizing share price. So it's, it's a business. It's like Bill Gates said early on, I'm a businessman. I'm not a, I'm not a tech head, you know? Well, you know, it's a problem when you have a, a, a plethora of products that sometimes overlap is that the cheaper ones that, can, that are seen as a, a cheaper version of the more expensive ones can eat the expensive ones up. So, yes, and that does that does happen sometimes. And but there. but uh, and you know, and there's something I want to make sure that I say at some point during this this uh, this hour. I'm astounded at all of the capabilities in .NET. Yes, sir. It, it has so 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 many things in it. Um, in fact, I, I, I did a, a uh, what did I call it? A concordance once of uh, of Fox Pro six and Visual Basic six, comparing. You know, here's the command or function in Fox Pro. Here's the equivalent in Visual Basic six. So you were bored were one day and just decided to, you know, oh, I, I think a, I'm, I'm make a concordance. Oh, it took two months. It took two months. But you know, it was really a labor of love, and I really felt like Fox Pro. Pro I, I wanted yeah. to do something to help these guys because I thought I thought maybe VB six was their migration path. Hmm. I, I I I was wrong. I don't think it was a migration path. I think I think VB was the first real database yeah. version of VB of, of Visual Basic. At any rate, there are about 2,000 commands and functions in FoxPro, and they have equivalents in BB, and there are approximately the same things in the two languages. BB is better for some, especially graphics. FoxPro is better for data. But there are more or less 2,000 commands and functions. There are 400,000 properties, events, and methods in .NET. Yeah. 400,000 in 4,000. It's just a different scale. Yeah. It's, it's an, what, a couple orders? It's an order of magnitude times two? You can, no, it's two orders of magnitude times two. It's, it's, you will never, you will never master more than four or five percent of .NET. Yeah, nobody will. So, I just don't see how anybody is expected to be an expert in anything more than a niche, yep. just a, some corner of .NET. And that that leads me to a real concern about about the quality of of life for programmers in an mm. environment like .NET. It, it's a fabulous resource. It's got everything, but for programmers, it's just another chance to look like a beginner. Well, you know that's why they listen to our show. <laughs> and, and, and even so, you learn every. I mean, I every day I get up at six, seven in the morning, come out here in my little office, I start working. Five minutes later, my wife calls me and says, "Hey, it's dinner time." <laughs> yeah, where you been? And twelve hours have passed, and I've learned three things. And I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm not going to live long enough to learn everything there is about .NET. Then there's going to be another version. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just it just and in, yeah, they're moving forward faster than we could possibly absorb it. And I'm not sure what the solution is. You know, I'm smart enough to complain about things, but not smart enough to solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I think um, I think the just the, the just in time learning thing is is as good as it gets. You know, and not to be anxious about it, but to to try to know what you don't know at least is a good place to start. Yeah, to solve the problem that you have right. Well, but to, to solve the problem that somebody is willing to pay you to solve. Yeah, is generally the approach that uh, most of us have to take. Yeah. 
But the uh, yeah, and it's such a leap from from uh, from what Frox was and DBase was. These were so much closer to the metal. Uh, we were still building effective apps from it all, yes. and then it just the complexity's grown so dramatically now. Well, I do find that now that I've had nearly five years with dot with dot net, I can generally write about the same application in about the same amount of time with about the same number of lines of code in dot net as I did in FoxPro. Not in everything, but in most areas, and it will run just about as fast. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see that equivalency for a long time. Mm. And and I must say, learning FoxPro was so much easier than learning .NET has been. Yeah. Although once you know it, .NET's fabulous, but it is very, 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 it's just huge. It's monolithic. Well, and it's also set you up to be a lot more extensible. You know, there's oh, yeah, a no, lot more places are, you could go with it once you have. No, the benefits are incontrovertible. It's yeah. just that getting there. It's that making a living. It's uh, getting to the point where you can be, where you can be proud of yourself and not feel like you're going to be blindsided by some guy who knows one more thing that you didn't know. Yep. But you know, it's in FoxPro. Everybody knew everything. It's just you know, it's, there wasn't that much. In .NET, everybody you meet knows something you don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like watching our political candidates these days where every single one of them is looking for that one thing that he can slip in a second before the other guy thinks of it and make the other guy look like an idiot, when in fact none of them are idiots. Well, I don't know. But none of them are idiots, but... Yeah. I Well, you know, I'm interested. I'm curious to know. You've been working with it for five years. What was the, what was the biggest, chal- the most challenging conceptual thing for you to get wrap your mind around? Oh, not even conceptual. Data. Okay. Just dealing with data. You know, FoxPro has three ways of dealing with data, and they're all pretty good. Yeah. .NET has 20. Yes. And they're all it, it, layer after layer after layer, object after object. You have to do this and that. I mean, look at Browse, and there's a command in FoxPro called Browse. Use table name Browse. Boom, you're looking at a grid. That's hmm. 19 lines of code in .NET. Why? I mean, if you want to be a... An, it, 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 it's just so much harder than I expected it to be. Yeah. So I was, uh, some friends of mine, when I told them I was going to have this uh, conversation with you today, suggested that I do a sort of a comic routine where I suggested improvements to .NET, and they would essentially be, hmm, I've got an idea. Why doesn't .NET add a current selected table object? And that current selected table object could have some commands that would automatically default to that object, like delete, skip, top, bottom, (laughs) use. You know, at which point, basically, you would have duplicated the data handling in FoxPro, which is trivially simple. Yeah. Of course, it introduces many of the same problems that FoxPro had, but right. uh, we were going to do it a little bit as a joke, but it seemed like a cheap <laughs> shot. This is a well, .NET well, environment, and .NET's a good language, and I'm making a ton of money doing it, and I like it. <laughs> well, we could write a class for you, Les. <laughs> <laughs> you could certainly I, do that. You know, there was a guy that did a, some kid from India did a fabulous job of duplicating most of the functions in FoxPro in .NET. And I looked at it, and I thought, this is a, a really brilliant individual effort, but it's never occurred to me to use it. Well, and I guess therein lies the issue. Like you like I said, you're not writing any code in Fox these days. You're just migrating apps. Oh, do you do. just simply rewrite them, or are you actually doing migration? Well, you know, most clients don't want exactly the same application. They want, they want certain things done, and their existing software is the guideline for what they want done. But right. if there's a better way to do things... They want it done. If there's a way to share reusable code, they want that done. If there's a way that they did something wrong to begin with, they want it fixed. If there are things that uh, users have never liked, they want them to better user interfaces. So, no, there are improvements to be made just everywhere. And 
you know, I've been doing this for five years, so there, there's almost a, a mental mapping that goes, that takes place as they're showing me their code, scrolling it by the screen. I'm thinking, okay, I know what that is. That's a B42, and that's a C7, and that's a, that's an A3. And, you know, if, if I had a naming scheme of how I was going to redo each construct in .NET, I already know what most of them are. You know, first-class developers like you and me insist on knowing how their code performs before releasing their application into the wild. The ANTS profiler from Redgate Software is a very easy-to-use profiler for .NET developers that'll profile the performance of your code so you can identify any performance bottlenecks before you ship. Using ANTS profiler gives you that extra edge that makes all the difference in the world, since you can fix any known issues before shipping and before anyone notices anything. Ants Profiler can be a lifesaver, so if you want to get your hands on it, download a 14-day free trial from www.red-gate.com slash DNR slash Ants Profiler or shrinkster.com slash TQ9. So your fluency in Fox is definitely helping you to break down what this app actually is into the functional units that you then re-manifest in .NET. But it's not like you're running a magic tool that converts the code for you. Oh, that would be spectacularly bad. <laughs> oh, that would just suck like a Hoover. No, <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't do that. Wouldn't even think of doing it. Well, did you take any training or read any books when you were learning the data stuff, or did you just do like most people and crack the help file and try to figure it out? Well, there were about four books out on .NET data access when I first started writing my uh, my book on migrating Foxpro to .NET. You know, I started when it was in beta. My son was a an, an occasional partner of mine in business. He graduated from Berkeley, went up and worked for Microsoft for a year. He wrote the uh, macro language in Excel 5. Oh, really? Wow. And then decided that he, he he was at Microsoft the first year their stock didn't go up. So at the <laughs> end of the year, he said, you know what? They're working. They're paying me for 40 hours a week, telling me they'll fire me if I don't work 80 hours a week. I give me options that are worthless. Give me options that are worthless, and the manager of the Burger King down in the corner is making more per hour than I am. Ooh. This is stupid. I'm leaving. So he came back to work with me and then went out on his own. He actually bought a company whose biggest client was Schwab, and he did the Schwab website. So during the year that everybody else was going broke, my son was well on his way to becoming a millionaire. Wow. And then one, and, and he, you know, he said, you know what? He said, you should quit whining about this Fox Pro, you know, Microsoft killing Fox Pros. He said, like Grandma says, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Why don't you write a book on how to redo Fox Pro applications in .NET and help all of your gray-haired buddies keep their jobs? Hmm. Uh, so I said, okay, if you'll help me. And he said, sure. A week later, we were out watching the... Uh, Leonid's meteor shower, November the 15th. Oh, that was one. And his back started hurting. Well, he had had cancer 30 years before, and they had treated him with radiation. By 6 o'clock in the morning, the pain was just more than he could bear, so I drove him to California Pacific Hospital, and it was cancer. It relapsed. The radiation had caused a second a, a sarcoma, right. completely different from the first cancer. And basically, we checked him into the hospital. I stayed with him that day, the next day, the day after that, and every day for the next five months, and he died five months later. Oh, I'm sorry wow. to hear that. So I whined, uh, you know, I moaned, moped around the house for about a year, and finally my wife said, finish the damn book. I finished it. I took it to the publisher and said I wanted my son's name on the cover with mine. They said, legal department won't let us. And I said, well, hell with it. My wife said, publish the damn book. <laughs> so I went back and said, okay, just my name. The book came out. Six months later, the phone started ringing, and... Uh, I've been book solid ever since. Wow. So he was right. Yes. Nice yeah, one. It's, 
it, it is very poignant that uh, that I owe my the the best career I've ever had to my son who uh, who isn't here to share it with me. Yeah, it's been that is that five and a half years now. But yeah, it, it, .NET is up. It's a great environment, and and it it does things are done differently than they are in in Fox Pro, but it's it's not worse. It's just different. And well, I, what do you think I, of the Fox product now? Fox has become open source essentially. They've moved it to Codeplex. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I wrote an editorial years ago for I, I wrote op-ed for an outfit called Fox Talk for a few years before I started writing for uh, UT Mag. And I wrote an editorial called All I Want. And the first paragraph was, you know, I've been doing this Fox Pro thing, and Fox Software is operating out of a grocery store complex in Toledo, Ohio. All I all I want is just for this product to be backed up by a solid company that can afford to market it and tell people how great it is and blah, blah, blah. I said, then Fox Pro version for Windows came out, and it was and it was even better. And, you know, or Fox Pro, uh, what it was, Fox Pro. Visual Fox Pro. And I said, this is great, but all I really need is something that can work with Windows. And then Fox Pro for Windows came out. And I said, this is great, but all I need is something that's got object orientation. And then VFP mm. came out. And I said, this is great. And then Microsoft bought Fox Pro, and I thought, this is great. And then Microsoft stopped the advertising for Fox Pro from one day to the next. Hmm. Just dead as a doornail. Hmm. And so after a couple of months of realizing that this was really and truly company policy. This was shortly after the famous, every time we sell a copy of Fox Pro, we lose $10,000 in SQL Server license revenues line. So I said, and here I am back back where I started. All I need is a company that will support the language that that earns me my living. So that was sort of my feeling about the whole thing. But what are you going to do? You can uh, curse the darkness or light a candle. You know right. what you can't do is write a song about it that anyone will have any idea what it means. I was going to write a song called The Disappearing Fox Pro Blues. <laughs> 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 but I, I, just, I just couldn't, uh, you know, I just, there was no audience that would, that I was would gonna, give it Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you go out in a bar and try that one, people will just look at you with a cocked head, you know. What? <laughs> well, you know, I have been, I spoke at Microsoft at Fox Pro conferences for years, but the last time there was a Fox Pro conference, the, uh, the gal who has been in charge of putting these on for a long time sent out the perfunctory call for speakers, and she said, and by the way, we're not interested in presentations about how to rewrite Fox Pro in .NET. Why didn't she just say Les Penner is not invited? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Would have been a lot shorter, save all that ink, and, you know, save a tree. <laughs> I should just let you into the conference to tell the stories, man. I well, mean... <laughs> I think I have to go to the conference and then just walk around and buttonhole people one at a time. But, uh, you know, every, these people, those people who are still trying to base their career on Fox Pro, there is some business there, but there's a lot more in .NET. Yeah. I mean, so we nice. are swinging into a giant recession, but, you know, companies, if they're in the long term, if they're in it for the long haul, when business is booming, they need better software to help them grow with, with the expansion. My newest client uh, has $3.6 billion in jet engine orders that they can't fill because they don't have enough product, production capacity. Right. You know, China went and ordered 800 airline, uh, airliners, and, uh, and, and there aren't enough people in their factory to build all the engines that they need. Huh. Right. Um, when things slow down, they got time on their hands and nothing better to do, so it's a perfect time to rewrite their software. So it's like it's always a good time to rewrite software. Hmm. Yeah, the software has always been so leverageable that in tight times, it's really about this is the least amount of money you can spend to get the most amount of results. Hmm. Well, nothing wrong with efficiency. 
Yeah. <clears throat> but but I think that people now who are operating their shops in a, with Fox Pro need to be ser- seriously concerned that they are no longer using a product supported by Microsoft. Hmm. Well, I think the announcement is that the support line runs till 2015. Yeah, but that's irrelevant. What what Microsoft has said by by not have, there's no Fox Pro staff. I mean, no. maybe what do they do? They call Randy if there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've they've uh, released it in an open source license now, right? Yeah. So it's essentially an unsupported product. I mean, yeah. su- you know, it's supported, but it's not supported. Um, I don't think there's any guarantee that it'll work with future operating systems. There are some Fox Pro features that won't work with Vista. Hmm. I tried to install Sage accounting software the other day on a Vista machine; it wouldn't work. Install it on hmm. XP, runs runs fine. So Sage is the largest selling source code accounting system in the world. It's written in Fox Pro. Wow. So it's already happening to people. So since March, I think everybody who's a Fox Pro shop has got serious concerns. If they don't tell the world that their product's written in Fox Pro, their competitors damn sure will. <laughs> so, yeah, well, there's no way of hiding from that. No way, no way of hiding from it. And uh, and if and if it, and if a company has software that's written in Fox Pro, they need to seriously consider what am I going to do it in. Well, if it's Java, you can just double the budget of what it would cost if you do it in .NET. Hmm. And besides that. You know, I think Microsoft is not a bad horse to bet on. No, it's not. So, uh, .NET is kind of the only game in town for a lot of us, and uh, it's it's not, a, and it's not a bad platform. It's a great platform. Yeah, it's the I like best it. platform. <laughs> <laughs> well, and arguably the best platform now. Yep. I mean, the, the the dominance is substantial. It can't just be marketing that's made .NET six successful. Something tells me some software out there is working. Oh, no, I, I write stuff all the time, and I would sit back and run it, and it's just gorgeous, and it's fast, and I love it. No, no, I, I have no complaints about .NET. The, the, the difficulty of learning it is a problem that beginners have to deal with. And, you know, I, I have a soft spot in my heart um, for people that are just trying to get into their career. Yeah. I've probably received 2,000 emails and letters in the last 20 years from people saying, thank you for your – I answer every single tech support email and call that I get. Every single one. People send me their programs and say, why isn't this working? I fix it and send it back. Hmm. You know, it's kind of fun. Go in there after dinner, spend a half an hour, hmm. sip a little tea and uh, fix a program. Hmm. And I've seen everything. So, you know, I look at it say, oh, I know what that is. Boom. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've gotten 2,000 or so letters and emails from people saying, you saved my, you saved my career, you, you saved my marriage, three or four of them said. Wow. You know, that was the first program. I, I went to speak at a Fox Pro conference in Germany. And the guy who's the head of the Fox Pro user group there, a very successful guy, lives in a million-dollar house. We were sitting there about 3 in the morning getting our presentations ready for the next day, and he just said, apropos of nothing, he said, you know, your first book gave me my career. Wow. That was all he said. That's uh, well, I, it's quite a moment. I almost it's... cried. I mean, it was just <laughs> so touching. I've heard that story over and over. There's a guy, in, a guy named, uh, I, I won't give his name, um, he's the head of SQL Consulting in Microsoft Russia, I was sitting in Bill Gates' house having dinner with him about, oh, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, I said, you know, I've got this guy in Russia who's helping me publish my Fox Pro newsletter there. And if you guys would just drop the price of Fox Pro to $50 in Russia, people there would love to get a legal copy. They'd love to be part of the real honest world, and they'd feel proud of themselves and whatever. And Gates sort of said, well, the marketing guys are in charge of that. Two months later, this was in October, two months later, January the 2nd or 3rd, they opened their first office in Russia. Dropped the price of Fox Pro to seventy dollars, and hired my guy away from me. Oh, great! <laughs> and That's... his name is Dimitri, and and he's now a very important guy in the cons- in the SQL Consulting Division. Wow. One day at the Tech Ed, I was being interviewed by John Box, I guess, uh, on this tele- this radio show that he has. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Dimitri walked by, and I said, Dimitri, come on over. I want them to meet you. And I told him the story about how I'd gotten help. Dimitri, uh, you know, he and I started a business in Russia, and I handed him the microphone. I said, you know, tell him some stuff about what's going on with the programming in Russia. And he said, well, before I say anything, I want to say that I owe my career, and in fact, all the success in my life to Les Pender. And I was nice. just choked up. He couldn't give me the microphone back. I, was, I, I couldn't talk. Wow. So that's been the great pleasure of my life. And if I can do things to help beginners, that was the start of this thread. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love to do it. And beginners need help writing their first program. They don't, you know, I, I go to these, I'm a speaker for INETA. Yes. I've gone to INETA. Uh, I've done INETA presentations where people come up afterwards and say, you know what? Yours is the first presentation from INETA that I ever understood. <laughs> these people come in here and they talk about threading and, 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 uh, enterprise services, and I don't know what the hell that is. I'm still trying to get my first program to work. You know, how, how do you do a data adapter? How do, why doesn't the data ad- adapter know how to do an update statement? Uh, right. Well, so uh, it, it's hard, and that concerns me. I have that uh, experience a lot, or I had it when I was teaching. I would typically have people come up to me saying that they learn more in the first day of my class than, like, at weeks of other classes, things yes. like that. And that that's what, you know, that's why you do it. So, Les, I'm looking at this book list, uh, uh, the ones you, there's six books here, uh, and it's an interesting jump because they're in the 90s. It's all these serious Fox Pro books, which really look like the fundamentals people would need to know to learn how to program a Fox. And in the latest ones from 2004, which is the Fox to VB.net book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fox Pro was my game for the longest time, and that was what was important to me. But then my son pointed out to me that these Fox Pro people were going to need to jump ship and, uh, we thought the demise of Fox Pro was imminent. Well, it took 10 years. Yeah, yeah, but, it was imminent for a long time. Yes. Well, you know, I think that Microsoft was very aware of the fact that um, if, they, uh, if they did something that was too obvious, that the Justice Department would, would uh, give them a great deal of grief. So I think they decided that benign neglect was the best way to kill it. And, and also, you know, they've got a lot of irons in the fire. Killing Fox Pro was not the only thing that mattered to them. They had they had other products they wanted to kill too. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, just you know, it comes a point. I think the the Visual Fox community was so strong and and kept driving the product forward for so long. It's interesting where it's at right now, where it seems like folks are finally going in different directions. The, the product hasn't been killed so much as has moved on and it's it's still out there in a form it's like they never needed to kill it finally the market caught up to a point where they were able to put it somewhere else well i think the lack of advertising is just uh you know there was a, there was a magazine um fox pro advisor that had a tremendous circulation and tremendous readership and the day that the, the month after microsoft stopped advertising fox pro fox pro advisor went from 100 pages to about 20 Right. Because everybody knew what this meant. Everybody knew what it meant. Right. I mean, you know, I, uh, Microsoft paid a $750 million fine for monopoly practices in Europe. It's not like I made it up. <laughs> right. They are, yeah. they are a monopolistic uh, company, and they do as much as they can get away with, but I don't think that they court disaster. I mean, the founder of the company is Bill's father. He's a lawyer. Right. Yeah. So the company's... Main, you know, uh, the, the State Department shows up with seven. I mean, uh, the Commerce Department shows up with seven lawyers. Microsoft shows Microsoft shows up with fifty. They outspend them. Well, and I've often said, my, you know, Bill Gates's real legacy is the uh, the end user license agreement. 
that it's really the legal part of the concept of selling software because before Microsoft, software was included with the box. Every company that sold so- that had software was selling a machine. Yes. It was Microsoft was really the first to say, "Well, we're only selling software. We don't sell machines." You know, I, I, there's a there's a <laughs> boy. I, was, I actually have a lot of juicy things that I just don't think I ought to say. But oh, Microsoft, go ahead. You're among friends. <laughs> Microsoft's <laughs> first uh, <laughs> Microsoft's first uh, product that they tried at a mass market was a C compiler, and the price was two percent of your gross sales of your product that you compiled with it. Nobody would go along with it. Nobody. I mean, it didn't matter that it was 2%. They just, how dare they? They didn't have the right to do that. Nobody has the right to 2% of, you know, a piece of the action. It was just so, uh, I don't know. Ballsy. Greedy. Well, what is SQL Server? You pay to have access to your own data. Yeah. <laughs> what is web services? You know, I think that Microsoft's dream has always been to get people to, to put a, a, a parking meter on everybody's desk. Toll booth. I, and I think that the, I think that we have not yet seen the end game of .NET. I think we're seeing the beginning of it. But well, I, then I again, Les, you could write your own SQL Server. No, <laughs> <laughs> but if it were really good, they'd just buy it and kill it. <laughs> no, it's that's not, not so cynical. Much. No, no, not at all. It's not the it's not the SQL Server. I mean, a SQL Server is simply a mechanism of pricing. Mm. It's it's paying for stuff a little bit at a time. People buy things on the installment plan they'd never pay cash for. Mm. So uh, what does Microsoft have now? 20 products that are based on SQL Server? Almost yeah. everything has SQL Server behind it. There will be 50. There will be 1,000. Mm. So, you know, I'm 61 now. I'm not going to live long enough to see all the fabulous things that are going to happen mm. in in this industry. Uh, it's In fact, it's my, hus- my, my son's Practically, his last words were, "I just wish that I could stay around and see what's going to happen, what's, what technology is going to bring." Hmm. And I feel that way too. I, but I, there is a direction to all of this, and and it's not all random. Some of it is being thought out in in uh, company offices right now, and I just, and of course, not everything that people hope will happen will actually happen. But I would just love to see it. I mean, it's just been such a thrill to, yeah. to be involved in technology instead of out. You know, trying to keep eighteen-year-old kids awake, telling them economic theory. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so much innovation. We move so quickly in this industry, and there's very little others. I actually had this conversation with my daughter, who's who's sixteen now. Where I said, you know, it happens to be that the computing industry makes a lot of money. It, there's a lot of opportunity in it, but if there wasn't, would I still do it? You know, am I actually here for the money or was I here because I like the work? If if it was gardening, if I was in love with gardening and that's what I did, would I really have the same kind of opportunities? No, it's not the same opportunities, but I'd probably still do it. We like computing because computing is very interesting. Right. It happens that you can make a living at it as well. Well, I've oh, learned right. I've learned long ago that I can't just do things for the money. I've had the most miserable, high-paying jobs that I care to ever have. And I oh, wouldn't yeah, wish I, it on I, anyone. I would rather shoot myself than be a DBA, for example. <laughs> I mean, what a fucking job! <laughs> you, you know why they give you? know why they pay you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to be a DBA in New York City? Why is that? So you can afford a four thousand dollar a month uh, uh, apartment that's five minutes walk away from work at two in the morning if they want to call you in. Right. Uh, that's <laughs> the reason. You don't get to keep that money. <laughs> yeah. 
It's just to cover the expenses of yeah, doing you your got, job. Yeah, net of taxes and, and, and your overpriced Manhattan apartment, you're, you're making about $8 an hour. Oh, it's a man. horrible job. <laughs> so, but, but as far as but programming, I mean, if this weren't my job, it would be my hobby. I love what yep. I do. Me too. Yeah, and it's an interesting part of this whole equation is that, that it did grow out of the hobbyist, that people did it for fun and it became business. Now, Les, have you been able to bridge the gap between music and programming at, in any way? Uh, no. <laughs> yes, I was able to buy a Martin with the money I made last year. <laughs> That's about the, oh, it's a, it is a, it is such a cherry axe. It is just amazing. <laughs> yes, this is new for you. Well, you know, I, I played uh, acoustic and uh, I've just gotten back to metal strings again, but uh, mm. with the Martin, but wow, what a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Guitar. So if you're playing guitar when you're 16, you just kept it up did, just for fun. Well, I had a nice voice for many years, and uh, I did mention it was the 60s, and I was better looking, right? Right. Yes. I don't need to, to elucidate any further, do I? <laughs> nope. Knew a lot of chicks, okay? Lots and lots and lots of chicks. Say <laughs> no more! <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, just, just looking at my picture and hearing this conversation must be truly revolting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it was uh, the 60s, okay? I yeah. once walked up to a girl who was standing in front of the library, and I said, excuse me, do you have the time? And she thought for a second and said, sure, I've got time. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> kidding. <laughs> said, no, 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 I just mean, what time is it? <laughs> no, really, uh, I just want to know what time it is. Yeah. <laughs> things were different. Uh, so, no, I, I, I did enjoy the music business, but it was, it was basically a way to meet chicks. And, of course, mm-hmm. now programming is a way to meet chicks. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, those programming conventions. That's they're packed. They're packed. Yeah, just a veritable. I have two stories I can't tell you. Yeah, more. <laughs> no, well, just two. Well, maybe if you I... told them in the third person about somebody. There was else. this guy I knew. There was this guy I knew that went to his first Foxborough convention, and the prettiest girl in the conference came up and put her room key in his pocket. Nice, nice. And he went back the next year, and a different girl did the same thing. I know her. <laughs> I don't know who this Richard, guy was. Richard, we know her. He must have been a lot better looking. <laughs> and he was single at the time, by the way. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Those Fox Pro programmers. In between divorces. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, we were going to the wrong conferences. Oh, the wrong conferences. Oh, yeah, Fox Pro. It was hot. <laughs> oh, well. So, uh, so we talked about guitars a little bit. Let, you know, it always comes. You probably get asked this. Over and over again. I think we've talked about it on Don Rocks a hundred times, but always interested in hearing what everybody has to think, uh, has to say about the correlation between music and programming. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, uh, universal. The first few years that I that I was in programming, every everybody that I knew who was a really good programmer played oboe or guitar or violin or something. It, it was just amazing. Uh, it, it seems yeah. that always the best programmers were, were also musicians, and some of them really accomplished musicians. Yeah, I found the same. I, I, they all needed to eat, so they programmed. So why is that? I, you know, I guess it was partly that, but also there is something about the, the creative process and making something out of nothing, which is what a lot of music is. And um, you know, programming is sort of the same thing. Okay, I've got a, I've got a problem. How do I solve this? It's kind of a, it's kind of a motet, isn't it? It's kind of a, a little baroque. Yeah. Formula. I have a yeah. a little bit of a theory about this, which is when you practice an instrument, 
you really have to play and think at a lower level and a higher level and be able to switch back and forth pretty quickly. Like, you know, you're working on a technique or a scale or a lick or something like that. You really have to break it down into smaller pieces and slow it down and, and practice and, and technically understand what's going on. But at the end of the day, you have to perform. You have to create something out of it that's bigger at a higher level. And um, that's very much the, the programming experience as well. There are a lot of analogs between programming and, and well, do you remember the, the 1980 Pulitzer Prize winner for nonfiction, Gödel Escher Bach and Internal Golden Braid by Hofstadter? I happen to own a part of a company called Strange Loop, and that is our mantra book. I used that as a textbook in a finance course that I taught in the MBA program. Hmm. Oh, man. My students didn't know what the hell I was talking about. All right, so I don't know what you're talking about, so fill us in a little bit. (laughs) Go to Lesherbach. Tell them all about it, Les. It's a book. It's something special. Well, uh, you might say that I could tell you, but it wouldn't fit in the margin of this conversation. Give me a summary. And only a few of you know, only one of you laughed at that, so somebody read the book. <laughs> oh, well, a, and, and the author of the book to, is a guy named Doug Hofstadter. Yes, that was just, a reference to Fermont's Last Theorem. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, but two of us Don't are worry, I'm used to it right now. <laughs> I'm used to it. I'm in the presence uh, of greatness here, folks. No, it's just an Seriously outclassed. <laughs> just a it's little okay. Mess. It's a math joke. <laughs> yeah, it is totally a math joke. And I mean, uh, yeah, go to Lesherbach. They, you're, the guys you're referring to are all in at their course, these mathematicians, right? And they're dead. And they're, and of course, they're dead. They're dead. So don't forget that. There's yeah, a moral it's a, all part of it. But, and Hofstetter's gone on to write another book called I Am a Strange Loop, which really talks about this whole concept of recursion. Uh, influencing systems. People are essentially recursive, that they learn from their actions to change behavior. Well, one, heard, one certainly hopes so, you know, unless, uh, except certain of our political figures. Come on, let's, let's get into <laughs> politics a little bit, please. You know, this is, politics is something we have never, ever talked about on the show, and I kind of like it that way. All right. Well, I, I, uh, I will not okay. reveal how desperately I want my candidate to win. I will just say he's better than your mama. <laughs> I can tell you. I can tell you a generic political joke that you can say about any political figure that you hate. What? They're lying weasels. No, That's no, no. <laughs> There's two things I hate about him: his face. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I I wrote an editorial a while back. Um, uh, just on a serious uh, uh, note, I got in. I I went to Rice University to get a PhD in economics because I had just watched what the medical profession was doing with my son at a cancer hospital, hmm. and I was sickened hmm. and appalled. And I thought somebody has got to change this. So I actually went off to get a PhD in economics so that I could expose the medical system of the United States for the terrible terrible criminal enterprise that it was. Wow. It's a hundred times worse today. Wow. So my, you know, my politics is not so simple as to say, you know, I want my party to win. I don't have a party. Yeah. (laughs) There is nobody that thinks as radically as I do about what needs to be done. Hmm. But, uh, it's gotta, it's got to be fixed. And it's not the only problem, the medical problem, a school system that can't teach our kids. So I don't know. I guess this gets off into politics, but programming is not the only thing in the world. It's just how I make my living. Love music, but uh, boy, I, I wish the world would get better. And I guess at some point, instead of wishing it, 
I should do like my son said, you know, quit cursing the darkness and light a candle. Right. So I don't know. Well, on a lighter note, are you at your computer right now, Les? I am. Go to shrinkster.com slash TXJ. Okay. Oh, yeah, I actually went to shrinkster.com earlier to see what you were talking about, and it's, uh, it's a cute idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But it ultimately points to a site. Yeah. And in this case, that's a... Have you pulled it up, the picture? Shrinkster.com slash what? TXJ. The listeners can do this, too. All right. My gift Free to you guitar. at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Please take one. It's basically a, a, on the street. It's a, it's a rack, that, a big rack that holds like 20 guitars. There's no guitars, and there's a sign that says, Free Air Guitars. Please take one. I love it. And the guy walking by has a very confused look on his face. <laughs> by the way, my, my phone is making beeping noises, and it, and it may actually uh, die shortly. Well, I think we're just about done anyhow. We're done. So, Excellent. Well, I have much enjoyed talking with you, gentlemen. We have certainly enjoyed it as well, and I'm sure the listeners have too. All right. Well, if your listeners are interested in anything that I'm doing, they can go to lespinter.com, L-E-S-P-I-N-T-E-R.com, and uh, also fox2.net, F-O-X-T-O.net, uh, which is a little more specific on some of the newer things that we're doing. Okay. And uh, my editorials at utmag.com, um, where I rant. Great. And, <laughs> and tell uh, George Lucas that Jar Jar is dead. Okay? <laughs> well, I, I, I have had a wonderful career, and programming has just been a great way of life, and really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I hope that, I hope that you, your readers and uh, your listeners can, uh, can have as much fun at it as I've had. Well, let's hope so. Thank you, Les. My thank you, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 